All right, Hawks fans and hoop ball fans, we have a special hoop ball promo. This is big, real big, like Manny Fresh, house real big, car real big, daddy. Anyway, before I start singing and dancing in the booth to a New Orleans classic, this is a huge week for everyone at hoop ball because all of our 2020-2021 NBA season products are finally for sale. These hoop ball products are the best in the business. So listen up. Here's what's out. The draft guide. This is our flagship, our shining beacon like Superman. The most comprehensive draft guide in fantasy sports. Our guys went 400 players deep again this year. A future access pass to the Brewski 150 is also out. If you don't know what the Brewski 150 is... You need to know now. It's the fantasy draft list that has beaten every other list for the last decade. Decade. And new for this year, Hoopball is unveiling our new monthly membership plans. I'll try to keep this part short as much as I can. We have the fantasy pass, which includes the draft guide, the Brewski 150, and also the new DFS pass and all of our in-season premium tools. The DFS Pass is also available on its own, if that's your thing. We have the new Wager Pass for our sports bettors out there who want picks and analysis. And we have the HoopBall 360. The sucker has all of the stuff above, plus even earlier access to the Brewski 150. So head to hoop-ball.com or follow at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter now, right now. Like, go on Twitter right after you hear this to learn more and get yours today. If you want to succeed in sports betting and your fantasy basketball leagues this year, this is a no-brainer. Again, go to Twitter right now at HoopBallFantasy or go to Hoop-Ball.com and get right today. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Plays it into Trey. Two seconds one. Trey Slaughter. here on the Hoop Ball Network that is taking flight, where we cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks, and this is a Hoop Ball collaboration, as I have Mr. David Williams here for Hoop Ball Grizz. David, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I would be better had we uh, won the game, but uh, it is what it is. It's early in the season. The Grizzlies started off 0-2 last season as well and bounced back, so hopefully we can turn it around. I have, you know, the utmost confidence that you guys will turn it around as you guys are a really, really gritty, tough team. I know that I, when I was looking at the schedule, as far as, you know, the first five games for the Hawks, we had the Bulls, who I said they're definitely a winnable game. 
We had the Grizzlies, which was a toss-up because the Grizzlies are tough. We had the butt whooping in the preseason. We got our butts whooped last year against you guys. And then we had the comeback effort in the preseason where we basically needed our bench to step up because our starters weren't getting it done. And then we have a game against the Pistons tomorrow as our home opener. So I thought that if we could go two and one there, losing to the Grizzlies, going into a back-to-back against Brooklyn, yikes. Like, I mean, that's just a tough way to start. But so we really needed this win. And I know that the Grizzlies really needed the win to kind of get off the one game snide. Cause obviously you don't want to start the season. zero and two where they are now. So going into the game, what did you want to see out of this Grizzlies team to try to turn the tide and get to that one and one start? Uh, the the second unit is key. The uh, go, going all the way back to the bubble, the Grizzlies have struggled when Ja Moran is not on the floor with figuring out what they need to do to get the offense going, and it's it's just a reoccurring thing. Everybody just attributed it to okay, Tyus Jones went down, so that's why the second unit is struggling so much. But you know, Tyus is here and he's healthy and playing, and the second unit so far this year has been terrible again and i know that they're better than that but they just haven't shown it to this point yeah and certainly us as hawks fans we are used to you know with our bench usually in the past especially the last couple years we just kind of just had some stand-in players especially when trey young is off the floor the production offensively just drops because he's the, the known facilitator he initiates offense he can get his own shot and that is something that I saw similar to, you know, with the Grizzlies and John Morant last night. I know going into the game for the Hawks, I knew that our bench had to be a key, especially with all the injuries that we had on our end. I know you guys had injuries as well going into the game that our bench really needed to step up and produce with players like Gallinari out, who is a bench player for us, with Capella out, who was going to step up on that front court. So it, it was a lot of questions that we had to answer on our end but as i spoke to the injuries how much do you think the injuries to winslow jjj and others are playing into you know the current owen to start for the grizzlies uh, you know obviously we we know what jaron brings to the floor and how he's gonna fit in this office and, and offense and what he does so you know that, that's that's a big hole jaron's the second best player on the team and when you're missing a guy uh, of you know, that type of production, that's going to be a hole. And you know that we, we understood that going into the season, as far as the, the hole that we're missing with justice, we don't really know yet because he hasn't played, you know, he practiced going into the bubble and then he got his injury or he got injured again, right before actually playing games with us in the bubble. So it's, I don't know what he's going to bring to the table. I know I I watched Justice in Miami, and I know what type of player he can be when he's healthy. So obviously, I think that he's going to be productive. But whenever I'm taking things into consideration, I don't really look at the you know Justice being out causing that big of an effect because this this Grizzlies team played without him all year last year. But you know you're missing a big guy in Jaron. Um, but I I don't. I don't like to use that as an excuse. This game was definitely a, a winnable game. You guys had the Hawks had some guys step up big off the bench, and, and I don't even um, that uh, Nathan Knight is he yes. one of your is he one of your two way guys? I, I didn't know anything about him heading into this game, and then he just came out and he was knocking shots down. I'm like, who the heck is this kid? 
Yeah, he was our undrafted rookie out of William and Mary, and he was essentially brought on to be basically two way player, play on our G League team in College Park. And with the injuries to the front court, with Capella out, with Gallo out, we had to have some front court players step up. We had to do that small ball lineup to start the game, which made me a little bit nervous because Valanciunas is a mountain of a man in the middle. And in the two preseason games, Valanciunas really dominated the Hawks in the paint. It was hard to get him off the spot. He was getting every rebound. And I know in that first preseason game, he was even stepping back and hitting threes with confidence. So he was really, he really scared me. And I knew that going into the game that the Hawks really had the game plan well. And I thought it was a great team defensive effort on Valentunas, really frustrating him. He still got his 13 points. He still got his 12 rebounds and his four assists last night. But I thought that they really played really good defense on him. And that was a tribute to everybody on the team stepping up. DeAndre Hunter having to move to the forward, Collins playing the five, Fernando coming off the bench, Nathan Knight, as you mentioned, coming in, really providing a spark for this team. Because early in the game, you know, Memphis was on a roll. Our starters weren't really playing with a lot of energy. And it was one of those patented Hawks starters starting slow, bench have to come in and re-energize the team and then Hawks game momentum. It's a trend that I saw in the preseason and it led to some preseason losses and it led to us having to fight even harder to get some wins in the preseason. So I was starting to see that last night, but I thought that the, you know, the defense that they played on Valentinus and how they frustrated him and keeping the Grizzlies out of the paint, which you guys have a wonderful knack of getting in the paint, wonderful knack, getting in the paint, you know, cleaning up the glass on both ends of the floor. Uh, and so I know that even with the injuries, I saw a lot of things that I liked from your Grizzlies. And I don't want to ask you about slow-mo. Kyle Anderson, after the shoulder surgery, his shot looks so much better this year. And I think he's going to be a real big key for you guys because he can just do it all for you. He can. And so it, it, it's funny that a guy that I have on my show quite often, uh, Isaac Simpson, Isaac Simpson, he's been on my show a few times now and he really likes slow-mo and I was on the side of, you know, he he's 27. He doesn't really fit the timeline. I think that they're going to move him. And, and I don't I, – I didn't really change my mind on that. I, I still think that, you know, obviously he's a little bit older. He's not really a timeline guy. But I, I see what he brings to the game, what he brings to the floor every night. I was surprised, you know, if you would have asked me going into this game, somebody's going to have a 20 and 14 game, who would it be? slow-mo would have been way down on that list you know i he would not have been one that i would have uh picked off right away um i like him and, and you can plug him in you know if you need a small ball five you can play him at the five he's starting at the four with jaron out you can play him at the three um you know he just makes winning plays it, it's what he does and he had a fantastic game last night and it's, it's creating a lot of buzz for him you know, in the the Grizz fan base, and then you know also fantasy. What hoopball is uh is around doing? There's a lot of fantasy chatter around uh, Kyle Anderson, and and what is he going to do? Is he going to be valuable or not? But um, yeah, he he kept us in the game because you know for the you know whether it was defensive scheme or our JV seemed like he really checked out early in that game last night, and I don't know what was going on. I thought okay. Capella is out, and I'm looking at the Hawks roster. I'm like, who do they got that's really going to check JV? I thought he was going to have a monster game, and he just he didn't. Yeah, I mean, a double-double is good. It's not an awful game by any stretch, but with the, the guys that they had defending him, I thought that he would uh, 
produce quite a bit more. And, and uh, he, he just didn't have the energy. He wasn't bringing it last night. There were a couple times on defense that he could have, you know, made one step and made a guy change direction and maybe give somebody else time to get over and help. And he didn't even do that. So there, there were plenty of holes in his game last night. But like you said, the, the Hawks done a, a great job with what they had, game planning, and you know, sending the extra guy at him, making him make tough decisions. And it's all you know. There's always two sides to the story. There's you know what the defense is doing against you, and then what kind of mindset is a player having in the game. And I think that it was it was a combination of both last night. The Hawks were doing a good job sending extra guys at him, you know, kind of helping get him off of that spot so he couldn't just get down in there and play bully ball. And then yeah. I, it just felt like he was disconnected last night for sure. Yeah, and I had the same sentiments as you going into the game. I'm like, man, he's going to he's gonna kill us in the paint. He's going to kill us. And they came in with a really good game plan. I also saw somebody on uh, Twitter last night. I think he's from Atlanta, but I think he's more of a Heat fan, so he kind of hates the Hawks. Uh, he tweeted out, he was like, they're lucky that Valanchunas wasn't Valanchunas tonight. And I tweeted at him, I said that we are lucky that he wasn't Valanchunas last night, 100%. But he was kind of discrediting the Hawks' defense that I alluded to and and how they game planned for him. And another player that I thought was key in us limiting was Dylan Brooks, who killed us in the preseason. Dylan Brooks, uh, Josh Lloyd tweeted, he said that, he hates watching Dylan Brooks, but he he hates him, but he can acknowledge that he is improving. And mm-hmm. I don't hate Dylan Brooks. Personally, I don't hate him. Being a Pels fan, I kind of dislike him because obviously, you know, Pels, Grizzlies rivalry we talked about off air. But as a mm-hmm. player, he has steadily improved, you know, year by year on both ends of the floor and just his confidence shooting the ball. And I knew that going into the game, we really had to challenge him because it seemed like in a preseason the Grizzlies were getting open three after open three, and it was always Brooks. It was always Allen. It was always Desmond Bain, who, side note, I love Desmond Bain. I really liked him as a late first-round pick if the Hawks traded back in the first round. And when I saw that he landed to you guys with the Grizzlies, I was happy about it. So I think your Grizzlies fans are really going to love Desmond Bain. So I'll get your take on that after I t- talk a little bit about Dylan Brooks. Last night, we held Dylan Brooks to 4 of 11. He still hit four threes, but for, he hold him to a four of an 11. I'll take that as a Hawks fan. And for him to shoot eight of 23 and have 19 points, he scored 19 points on 23 shots. That's really not inefficient. I will take that because the games where the, the Grizzlies usually win, Dylan Brooks is scoring a lot of points, but he's efficient. Mm-hmm. And they really did a wonderful job of, like I said, keeping the Grizzlies out of the paint forcing three-point shots, and actually closing out on three-point shooters and trying to contest those three-point shots, which was not the case in the preseason. I want to get your take on Dylan Brooks, you know, from the outside looking in, and I want to see how you feel about Desmond Bain early because I really like Desmond Bain. So Dylan gets a ton of hate from this fan base. Uh, you know, he is he's the scapegoat a lot of times. There, There's a few things that I like about Dylan. You know, you you spoke on his confidence a little bit. Sometimes he's overconfident and sometimes he needs to get rid of the ball. But if you go back, there's a, you know, I shared it on, on Twitter through the, the Hootball Grizz page. Um, he knows, he knows about the holes in his game. He knows that he gets tunnel vision. He's listening to the coaches. He's being receptive to the coaching. And that's a huge plus. He's a 24 year old guy and, and he, 
can still grow and people are ready to just give up on him. I'm like, man, you can't, I, I will challenge you and, and I want you to, you know, tweet at me if you find somebody, but this is what I've, I've sent this out to a bunch of Grizzlies fans and nobody's got back to me. Find a guy out there that's making less money than Dylan Brooks or that is on a better contract than Dylan Brooks. That's doing the things that he's doing night in and night out. He's guarding the best player on the other team and he's scoring 15 points a game. You're really like, there's not, I'm not saying I'm not going to tell you with 100% confidence that there's nobody out there, but there's not going to be many hit the contract that he got and what the Grizzlies are paying him for what he brings to the table you're not going to find a better deal. He has to get better. He looked really good in the first game distributing the ball, and that's something he talked about in that video is he wants to uh, be a secondary playmaker. You need that from him because, you know, that's if they stagger the starters and he's coming in when Jaws coming out and he can be your secondary playmaker, that's going to bode well for the entire team. And the way Dylan handles the ball, he can create his own shot. And outside of Ja Morant, pre before this year, I think Desmond Bain has a little bit of this too. But before this year, outside of Ja Morant, Dylan Brooks was the only guy that can create his own shot. And so you need him to do that and be efficient. And like you say, the, the eight for 23 last night, the Grizzlies are probably not winning games when Dylan Brooks is going eight for 23. They're winning when he's going, you know, 10 of 16, 10 of 50, you know, he's shooting 60 plus percent from the field because he's getting good open looks and the Hawks defense done a great job of disrupting him. And something that I saw late in the game that I thought was great on the Hawks, they, they shifted Deandre Hunter over onto John Morant quite a few times. I saw that and Deandre Hunter, he's a long guy. So, you know, he, he had a block on Morant late in the game that was key to you all closing the game out. And the only reason he can make that block is because of his length. You know, if you have a, a smaller guy on him, Ja probably gets that shot up and it goes in, but Hunter was able to close that gap with his length and, and make that play. So I'm, I'm on those, I'm bouncing around a little bit here, but back to Dylan, I, I love Dylan Brooks. I love what he brings to the table and the contract that he's on, I think is very team friendly in three years, if it doesn't work out, okay. You know, you've spent the money. You you have to look this year. I'm not a playoffs or bus guy for the Grizzlies. I think this is a learning year. You find out what pieces you have and what pieces you need. Is Grayson Allen going to be a rotation guy? Can you keep him around? Is he worth signing again? Is Dylan Brooks going to be worth his contract? Is he your starting two or three, or is he coming off of the bench? What's Desmond Bain going to do? You signed DeAnthony Melton to this contract. Is his offense going to improve? We know what Melton's going to bring to the table on the defensive end, but he, he's got to have some sort of production on the offensive end because he was basically unplayable in the bubble with the way that he shot the ball. It was terrible. It was something like, I think nine, 17 or 19% from the field for DeAnthony Melton in the bubble. So I think this year for the Grizzlies is a learn year. You you have guys, you know that John Moran is a part of your core. You know that Brandon Clark is a part of your core, and you know that Jaron Jackson is. So does Justice fit in with this team, or are we moving on from him? Does Grayson fit in, are we moving on? And so if they miss the playoffs, the top, probably I would say at least the top 10, maybe even deeper than that in this next year's draft 
are elite guys. And if you land any of those guys, they're going to be a huge help to your team. So if the Grizzlies miss the playoffs, end up in the lottery, I'm completely fine with that this year. I just want to see growth and kind of get a better gauge, better feel of where they're at and what they're missing. Yeah, I definitely understand your sentiments. And I and going into the season, looking at the Western Conference, I kind of had the same thoughts as well. I didn't really peg the Grizzlies as a playoff team, not because I don't think they have the talent to be in the playoffs. I just think that it's going to, it's going to be tough. And you're absolutely right. This is a much deeper draft this upcoming season. And if they happen to not make the playoffs and get a pretty decent draft pick, I don't think anybody in Memphis is going to be complaining with that because I really think Desmond Bain is going to have a really good year this year for you guys. And he's a guy who can go and shoot confidently from the three-point line outside of Dylan Brooks, outside of Grayson Allen. Uh, what we're seeing a little bit from Kyrie Anderson in Memphis. Uh, he And he's just a very confident guy and a confident player. And no one on your team lacks confidence. You just continue. You just need a little bit more talent. And uh, with Desmond Bain, he can facilitate an offense off the bench as well when given opportunity. And I really like DeAnthony Melton as well. So you have some pieces in Memphis that really bode well for you guys' future. And it's about, like you said, growth. It's about development. And if they have to take a step back this year to take a step forward in the draft and see what other pieces they can add and kind of move off the roster and get better fits for John Morant in this roster and free agency next year, which is going to be a deeper free agency pool. I say mm-hmm. I'm all forward uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies because one thing that your coach has instilled into this team is that your team comes ready to compete every night. They're not going to quit. And, and, and that's what really, you know, had me jarred a little bit for Valanciunas last night. Cause you're absolutely right. It seemed like he just, you know, stopped at times because he was frustrated Mm-hmm. in the game and that's really uncharacteristic for this Memphis team under this coach and that's something that you have the pillars that make a championship roster as far as you know the intangibles and the characteristics that you want infused into a team and you have talent you have some pieces is at this point just like with Trey Young in uh here in Atlanta it's about finding complementary pieces for this roster and developing the young players that you have to see what you can turn into another player via trade or who else you can get through free agency. Or, like you said, take a step back to step, take a step forward, see who you can get in the drafts and continue to build upon this thing in, in Memphis. Because John Moran is a, is a generational talent. Uh, he's a generational talent. He can, I mean, a guy had 44 in game one, which really scared yeah. me going into this game against the Hawks last night and for him to still have 27 even though he wasn't as efficient he was still effective and he was kind of missing in spells and I thought that lent to some of the good defensive play that the Hawks had on John Moran which is something new for Hawks fans to to say the defense of the Hawks really played a role in last night's game and they played a role in the first two games of the season thus far and I'm really interested to see how that continues to develop for the Hawks going forward but this is a team that they're going to compete every night. They're going to be a tough out. Like I said, it, it may have been a 10-point win for the Hawks, but certainly it was a, I want to say, probably it's an eight-point swing the entire night. Hawks go up by four, Grizz go back up, up by four, and they're just going back and forth throughout the night. So that just speaks to the, the heart and the grit, that grit and grind that they talk about historically with the Memphis Grizzlies. That is just what – you know, the Grizzlies is all about. And I'm really just, you know, I'm really optimistic about 
your team in Memphis going forward, especially when you have when you have a healthy JJJ. You got John Morant, Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, who I really like. Kyle Anderson, you, we'll see what they decide to do with him going forward. And just continue to find complementary pieces for this roster and construct a team like they've done with Utah with Donovan Mitchell around his talent, around what his strengths are, and to have John Morant really elevate his team play. And I think the Grizzlies done a great job in this draft getting guys. You know, you you were touching on on Bain and the way that he can shoot the ball. He didn't miss last night. He only shot the ball twice. Like he has to start shooting the ball more. I want to see that because he can definitely shoot it. And you go back to his college days at TCU, and he was a great facilitator. So to me, the way this offense is stalling when Jai's off the floor. Let's put it in Desmond's hands and see what he can do. And, and I know, like, I'm not a hit the panic button type person. Like, oh, my God, Tyus, you know, it, it's not any of that. But it's just not working right now. And you've got to figure that out. And maybe, you know, Tyus, at any point, he could maybe, you know, turn that corner and go back to what he was doing midseason for him last year. You know, it may just be a little bit of rust coming off of the injury and then bouncing back into the season so quick. It, it's you know, Brandon Clark has looked awful as well. So, you know, there's a couple guys that just don't look good right now. But I think you got to, if, if you, I know early in the season there was an interview and Dylan Brooks was asked, does this team have playoff aspirations? And his answer was, hell yes. It was not like there was no hesitation. There was, it was emphatic, hell yes, we have playoffs. You know, like aspirations, that's what we want to do. We want to make the playoffs. And so as a coaching staff, I, and, and I think Jenkins, obviously he's a young coach. He done a good job in some areas last year, but there were some things where he just needed to get better. And I think that he's going to do that as he grows as a coach. But I think at times he gets caught in a rut and he's scared to make changes or maybe scared is not the right word, but he doesn't make changes because he just sticks with the same. And sometimes you need to make those changes. You know, Nick Nurse is is a great example of seeing something that's not working and making a change in the middle of a game. A, a younger coach that's he made those changes and led his team to a championship. And so those are things that uh, the coach has to grow as well. But I, I love Desmond Bain. I could not believe that the Grizzlies landed him when they made that trade on draft night, moved up to thirty. Um, it, it was it was just nuts because you know I, I mentioned Isaac earlier. He was like. Bain was the one guy, hey, if we can move up in the draft, this is the guy that I want to move up to get. And then the Grizzlies went and done it. So that was uh, – we're definitely I, – I can't speak for all Grizzlies fans, but I know here at uh, Hootball Grizz we're excited that they got Desmond Bain. I think that he is going to be around for a while. I think that he is going to be a good NBA player for sure. I wanted I to ask you something. Oh, yeah. Uh, about your roster, you know the the Hawks made a lot of a uh, lot of moves in free agency this off season, and you know it's to put those veteran guys around some of this youth to uh, to be a little bit more competitive. But I asked my co-host this last night, and I want your take on it because you follow the Hawks a little bit more, so you know this roster a little bit better. Do you think, you know, you guys go out and you sign Bogdan Bogdanovich? I love him. Please don't take this as me bashing him. But I watch because the Hawks being the East Coast time zone, I watched a lot of Hawks games on the on the league pass last year because of these young guys, because of Trey Young. 
is Bogdan Bogdanovich that much better than Kevin Herter that he deserved that type of contract? In your opinion, like where do you think that line is with those two? I think it's too early to tell. I think that with Bogdan Bogdanovich, he has the tenure as far as a few more years in the NBA and obviously overseas play. So he's a more seasoned player. So I think in that regard, that's what helps him command his money. And one thing that, you know, Kevin Herter is trying to grow as a playmaker. We, we know that he's trying to be better on the defensive end. And we've seen both of those things this year. And his shot is a little, you know, more polished, you know, going into this season because he has continuity with this team. He's been here. He's come off the bench. He started. Whereas this is a new role for Bogdanovich. He's on a new team. But one of the things that I really liked about Bogdanovich, even though his shot has not been falling, is that he's a guy that's going to do whatever it takes to win. And in a, in a couple sample sizes, I've mentioned uh, in the two preseason games versus the Grizzlies and one game, one of the games versus the Magic, game one versus the Bulls when he was struggling. And last night, when his shot's not going, he tries to do other things to help win. He crashes the boards. He tries to set up pl- players getting assists or getting hockey assists. He you know, gives effort on the defense and he might get a steal or just play hard defense on a player to force him to pass out. He does the little things to help a team win. And those little things are going to matter down the stretch. His shot will come. His shot will be there. And he's a really good facilitator. A lot of people complain on the Hawks side of things when Rondo hasn't been playing early in the preseason. We have Brandon Goodwin and they're like, oh, we don't have a guard in the, in the starting lineup. We don't have a point guard in the starting lineup. They've given that responsibility to Bogdanovich and him and Herter have kind of shared it. And they've both done very well in those roles and they've both shown that potential. But I think what separates the two is Bogdanovich's willingness. And I'm not saying that Kevin Herter didn't have this. The willingness to go get the boards, to get, to give us another possession or crash the board, to push the break, really go and push the, push the break and start initiate the offense. He does little things outside of scoring points that really help a team. So then the nights where he is getting six, seven rebounds, because he's been there's been three, three or four games so, so thus far in this early season where he's had seven rebounds, which was a huge shock to me. I'm like, he has seven rebounds as a two guard. And Kevin Herter gets more assist. But I feel like right now, with Bogdanovich being a consummate professional, he's a guy that no matter where you plug him, whether he's struggling or not, he's going to give you consistent energy and consistent effort. And I think he can do a little bit more than Kevin Herter at this point in his career. But like I said, Kevin Herter is only a three-year player in the league. He's coming off an injury last year. He's... Not injured this year. He's fully healthy. He's rounding in the form. But it's going to, you know, take some time for for him to truly solidify himself. Like, okay, he is going to he is better than Bogdanovich. I think it's too early to tell, but I think that Bogdanovich does some things outside of scoring and shooting that maybe, like I said, maybe Kevin Herter is doing a little bit better than, but uh, as far as the shooting aspect, but the rebound and the other little things that really matter in winning games, game in the game out. And that could really stand out in the playoff series. A guard getting seven rebounds. That is a huge stat right there. Because you never know if that's on the offensive end or that is on the defensive end trying to initiate the break. And so right now I give Bogdanovich a nod. But they're both coming off the bench. And I love the energy that they're both giving off the bench and initiating offense and knocking down shots. More so for Herter. But I know that his shot is going to come. So I'm not really worried about Bogdanovich to this point. 
Okay. I just, I was just looking at the, the contracts and stuff. And, and like I said, I've, I'd watched a few games. I obviously not as many as you have, but I like, I like Bogdanovich a lot. And when there were talks about him leaving, uh, leaving Sacramento, I'm like, man, if the Grizzlies made a move on him because of his age, I like, I like him with a fit with the Grizzlies core. So, you know, it, I, it was not any way, shape or form a slide on Bogdanovich. I just look at, at Herger and what he can do. And I didn't even consider the rebounding thing because Herger's not much of a rebounder. But that that's uh to me, I, I just feel like maybe the Hawks rushed it a little bit on the rebuild because you have got, you know, you Cam Reddish, DeAndre, I think they had a great draft last year and mm-hmm. a lot of talent there. And then, you know, you went out and you made these moves where you got Rondo and Gallinari and and Chris Dunn, and then later on Bogdanovich, and I'm like I'm worried about stunting the growth of some of these younger, talented guys, and maybe they do a great job. You know, like I, I, one of the things, whenever they signed sign Gallinari, um, somebody in the front office of the Hawks, I was watching a video, and he said that they made it clear to Gallinari, hey, you're, you're going to be coming off the bench behind Collins before they ever signed the contract, and they said Gallinari was very receptive to that. So. I think as long as they're focused on developing these young guys rather than just getting in here and competing, because I, I think, you know, getting into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference is significantly easier than it is in the Western Conference. So getting I think that they I think that the Hawks could easily be a playoff team this year. But what's your goal? Is your goal just to make the playoffs or do you want to win championships? And to me, if you want to win championships, you've got to have these young guys develop. You know, you've got to have Cam Reddish, you know, see where he's going to go and what he's going to do and how DeAndre Hunter is going to continue to develop. And, and even Herter, you know, you got Trey Young is not old by any stretch of the imagination. He's a young guy, too. So you got a lot of good young talent on this team. And uh, I just I hope that, uh, you know, the moves that they made does not stunt the growth of these uh, the young guys. And that is a legit concern. I know that's a lot of people talking on Twitter about did we jump the gun too fast, especially with the deep free agent class next year that the Hawks potentially missed out on because they filled out the roster this year. But Tony Ressler, the owner here, was not was not bad. So he said we were going to spend money this offseason and he tasked Travis Schlenk to spend that money this offseason. And. A lot of people were worried about stunning the growth. You bring in a Gallinari when you have Collins, bringing in a Bogdanovich when you have uh, Kevin Herter, bringing in Solomon Hill and Tony Snell when you have Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. They're, they're still getting mo- opportunities on this team thus far early on. And I, But the one thing that the Hawks young players really spoke to this offseason was that they really needed a veteran presence. They need vets. Although, you know, Vince Carter wasn't, you know, producing large numbers, his, you know, presence as a vet, you know, helping them go work game in and game out, noticing little things to slow down the game for these players, to add more of that on this team, bringing in a Rondo, to add more of that to this team is going to help develop them even more because they're going to compete day in and day out because they have to compete for these minutes. And I think competition always brings the best out in people. And when you're competing in practice, that translates on the court. I think that's the biggest difference that we're seeing this year is that these young players are more confident, but they have to work day in and day out to eat, to get their opportunity to play and showcase their skills and contribute to this team. And I really tip my cap to Travis Lincoln and the coaching staff for really preaching this we mentality because that's what you're seeing right now. Uh, Gallinari, 
facilitating, you know, being a veteran presence, being that steady hand on, in the second unit when healthy. Rondo on the bench, clapping, coaching, talking to young guys, really getting into the game, encouraging people, talking to Trey, sitting with him in the media room. Solomon Hill, his energy that he provides in defense and in practice and telling people, hey, we got to buy in on it. They have many of these voices that are only going to help better the young players for them to have someone to lean on and gain guidance on that. Because sometimes, you know what I'm saying, you get a lot of minutes, but those mm-hmm. minutes are not productive minutes for young players sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're, you know, they're going through the trial and error phase, trial by fire, but maybe that's not the best best development for some of these players. Maybe it is competing in practice, having someone that plays a similar position who's had more years in the league that can, they can compete hard against in practice, and then afterwards they take them aside, show them a new move, watch some film, show them, hey, you're doing this, but if you do this, this will take your game to the next level. Someone outside of the coaching staff – to kind of have, you know, some coaches um, on the roster amongst the players, you know, rooming with them, lodging with them, eating with them, unlike a coach can do at times. And I think that those things are going to help kind of progress this franchise forward and really further progress these young players. But you, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of people who are really concerned that it could stunt the growth. And what we're seeing is that the these young wings, the Magic City Trio, as I call them, uh, they're <laughs> – they're not afraid. They're not afraid. They're confident. And they're competing, and they're coming into games with a lot of confidence in their respective games, and that's what I like to see. And I think that is these veteran players really enabling these young players, but the competition that they're getting in practice. So that's something that I'm going to continue to look at as the season progresses for the Hawks. And that's I, the the right veteran is key. Uh, Solomon Hill was with Memphis for a little while last year, and, and Jay Crowder, and those guys were great. And not necessarily on the floor so much, but their leadership and what they they brought to the locker room, those guys were fantastic. And you know, I know that Solo is going to be great at that. But you know, a guy like Gallinari, I don't know that I've ever seen him in that position. And you know what Rondo brings to the table? You know, playoff Rondo is obviously completely different than what you're getting in the regular season. So, you know, the things the the wisdom that Rondo can bring to the the game for Trey and Trey already has great vision, excellent mm-hmm. passer. And you get a guy like Rondo around and just small things like minor adjustments can make a huge difference. And, and so, you know, if you're getting these vets in here, they're willing to kind of take these guys under their wing per se and, and, you know, help, elevate their game rather than, you know, being selfish and saying, Hey, you know, I still deserve to be out there. You know, I don't care about this young guy. And that, that would be my only concern. But, you know, I say that, you know, the Gallinari thing was, Hey, you're going to be the backup. And he accepted that role. So as long as the veterans kind of have a clear cut, Hey, this is our goal. This is what we're working with. And they're on board with that. You definitely get a, a big boost from those guys for, especially for the, the, the younger guys that are still learning, you know, yeah, it's, they've been playing basketball their whole life, but the game is different. It's, it's completely different when you step up from, uh, from college to the NBA level. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you're, you're absolutely right. And to talk about, you know, you, you mentioned Trey, we mentioned Trey a lot on this podcast who had a wonderful game last night and it brings up the conversation that we've had the jaw Trey conversation that's been on Twitter, who is better, uh, and I, I know that you talked about it. it's funny. Actually, we talked about is there bad blood between them? And you talked about, you know, John Moran mouthing something 
to him at the end of the game, apparently calling Trey Young trash. And then I look on Twitter today, Trey Young tweeted a gif of Grayson Allen look, seemingly looking like he's trying to take a swipe at Trey Young in a double team situation and Trey Young calling that out. And then next thing you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. is calling that cap on Twitter. And then you have John Moran laughing. So I cannot wait till they match up again as this is a team. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more later in the program, how we wish that these two teams geographically, they're not far apart, only seven hour drive, but we wish that they played four times a year because these are two young teams, similar timelines, very competitive, very gritty now that we would just love to see them compete. But as far as the jaw and Trey comparison, People are trying to argue for who. So I'm going to kick it to you because you you wanted to take a, a, a stance and I'll take the other stance as far as where do you sit on this conversation looking at the player that you're going to talk about. All right, sure. I'll jump into that. Before I get into that, though, Mark Stein just tweeted out that apparently Chris Dunn uh, is having ankle surgery on Wednesday. Yeah. No, no timeline for his, uh, like the recovery timeline to be determined. So I don't have... And I've not really um, – I hadn't watched a ton of the preseason games. Has he played any games for you all, or has he been dealing with this ankle injury since he got there? He's been dealing with the injury since he we got since he's got here, so we haven't really seen him. Luckily, we signed him to a very friendly uh, contract, so it doesn't really hurt us on the books if he's not playing. And we have Rondo back now. Brandon Goodwin's gotten minutes, but we also alluded to – uh, Bogdanovich and Herter doing some of the ball handling responsibility. That's a hurt. That's a hit on a defensive end because we know that Dunn is a defensive player, but it gives these other guys a chance to, you know, continue to grow confidence in their in their game and playing within the system, playing with these guys, and b- hopefully build some continuity there. And then you just can plug Chris Dunn in defensively and then let his offensive game come to him when that happens. So we wish you a speedy recovery, Chris Dunn. Uh, but back to back to the conversation because I'm really interested to have this conversation with you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the the jaw versus uh, Trey, Trey versus jaw, whichever way you want to flip it here. You know, th- there's been a lot of this back and forth, and it's uh, Grizzlies fans, and sometimes it's not even Grizzlies and Hawks fans. It's just NBA fans in general comparing these two. And for me, and, and you you and I kind of talked about this off air a little bit, but I don't think it's a there's not much of a comparison between the two, and that's not to say that one is significantly better than the other. Their games are so different. They're so like. These are the similarities. They're both up-and-coming stars. They both play point guard, and they both have insane vision and are excellent passers. Past that, their games are totally different. John Moran is explosive. He's going to the rim. He's dunking on guys, and Trey Young is going to shoot it from the logo. Like Trey, Trey is far and away. If 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 I'm at the end of the game. And I need three points to tie the game. I want Trey Young with the ball because I, his shot is that much better than Ja Morant's. Trey can just shoot better than Ja. I think both of these guys can. They can create space. They can, you know, each of them respectively can do what they do at an extremely high level. But there's not a there's not a ton of comparison because. Trey's not going to the basket trying to dunk on guys. He's going to cross them up, create space, and knock down a three. Ja's going to try and dunk on everybody. Or you know, he, he's going to the rim. He's drawing the contact, and it, it's just I think it's more apples and oranges rather than you know like trying to compare these two guys. Love them both. It, it's 
it's just not, there's not enough there for me to really sit down and say, okay, who would I rather have leading my team? You can, you look at their, like the rookie stats. This is Trey Young. He finished with 19 points and eight assists. John Morant was 18 and seven. So the rookie numbers were not that far apart. Just two completely different guys. And that's, you know, I hear on the argument side for Ja, well, look at the the record, the team records for the two. Again, it's apples to oranges. The Grizzlies roster significantly better than the roster that Trey Young had in Atlanta in his rookie season. So I don't I don't think there's much to argue about. I like both of the guys. If I need a shot at the end of the game, if I need a three, I'm taking Trey. If I need a two, I like Ja because I like his ability to get to the bucket. Yeah, and I know for me, it's kind of hard to compare the two as well. Like you said, they play the same position. They can both get into the paint. They both have a little floater to them. Obviously, Ja has a little bit more explosiveness and a little bit more lift, and he's going to dunk on you, whereas, you know, Trey Young has a better outside shot. But Trey Young, this is also Trey Young's third year in the league versus Ja Morant's second. So it's really hard to compare the two. They didn't come into the league at the same year like a Luka Doncic and a John Moran, which everyone compares the two. I know that that chatter has quieted because Luka Doncic was on the better roster and his team had more success, so therefore it looked like he was a better player than than Trey Young, even though Trey Young was putting up numbers respectively as well in Atlanta, but just with less talent around him. And now that he has the talent around him, now you have the Stephen A. Smith tweeting saying, oh, um, I, I guess we can't talk bad about Trey Young now, but I know you keep that same energy because you y'all were riding the Luca train and now you want to jump on the Trey train. You know, y'all keep that same energy. Let let us continue to work and do our thing here in ATL. But as far as for John Morant, it's a second year. A lot of those rookies in that second year, they they have a little slump and then they ascend. John Morant started the year pretty hot, but he's gonna have to do that because with the injuries that you said, and maybe now the rosters have kind of caught up to each other, and maybe we can say that. Even with the injuries, Atlanta's roster is a little bit better at this point right now than the Grizzlies roster. So it's really hard to compare because John Morant, you know, he's explosive. He gets to the rim, he penetrates, he finishes, he gets to the free throw line, but he has to facilitate as well. And that's a lot of pressure on a young guard, especially when he has to deal with a lot of injuries. He has a lot of weight on his shoulder, whereas the weight that's on Trey's shoulders, he had that the last couple of years. And now the weight is not as much, the burden is not much as much on him this year because they added talent around him. So it was really hard to compare the two, but they're, you're absolutely right. They're both exceptional talents. They're both all-stars in my book. They're both ascending young guards. They have, they both have, they're both stars in my book. They're both stars and have, have superstar potential. And like I said, it's just really hard to compare the two when they both do some things. They do some things similar and they have a similar position, but they also have things that make them distinctively different in their respective games. It's like trying to compare Michael Jordan to LeBron James. Both are considered one of the greatest players of all time, but both do things differently and they both have things that they're both great at in their own respect. So it's kind of hard to compare the two, but it's a very interesting conversation nonetheless. And people are going to continue to have it. They're going to have it with, you know, with John Moran and Zion, which I mean, (laughs) come come on, guys. Yeah, come on, guys. Like they're going to do that with Trey Young and Luca. They're going to do this with Trey Young and Ja. They're going to do it with their. It's just what NBA fans do. They always (laughs) compare players to other players because 
I mean, it's just what they do. They look at championships, they look at statistics, they look at numbers, they look at dunks, wins. There's so many other things that they, you know, look at. But when as far as their games, their games are different. It's the same conversation that people have when they knock James Harden. They say, James Harden, I hate watching James Harden play. He's not that good. All he does is get to the free throw line. But, yeah, he's still one of the most prolific scorers in the league. And this is a guy who is out of shape at strip clubs. Had to quarantine for four days. Came back last night and had forty-four points and seventeen assists. Like, 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 yeah. who, who you know? Who you know could come off the street after four days of rest and do that? Yeah, yeah, man. It, it's so, some of the conversations just blow my mind. I I like to step back and just enjoy. I, I'm I'm a Grizzlies fan. I cover the Grizzlies, but first and foremost, I'm a basketball fan. You know, I, like I I enjoy watching the game whether it's, you know, it's the Grizzlies, Hawks, Lakers, Celtics. I, I can watch any two teams play. I don't care. I love watching the game. And so I can step back and watch and, and understand that I'm not a fan of watching James Harden shoot the ball from the free throw line 20 times a game, but I know the talent that it takes in order for him to get to the free throw line that many times in a game. So it's, it's, it's not a fun style of basketball to watch, but it's effective. And, you know, he, it's the, the memes going around, you know, the chunky James Harden memes. And I'm like, yeah, like you say, 44 and 17. All right. And the last conversation we wanted to have on this joint hoop ball collaboration today with hoop ball Hawks and hoop ball Grizz was we talked about, man, we just wish that, you know, John Moran and Trey Young had more opportunities to play each other in a regular season. It's a fun matchup, and I'm sure the next game, which will be probably in the back half of the schedule as far as the NBA goes that has not been released, will be a very heated battle in Atlanta, especially with the chatter and the trash talk between John Moran and Trey and J- Jaron Jackson Jr., who did not play in this matchup, but I'm certainly I'm certain he will be healthy and will have something to say in that next matchup, which will add some fuel to the fire. But I know the Hawks will have more pieces. They'll have Capello, they'll have Gallinari. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun matchup. And I know Adam Silver's been talking about the potential expansion that can happen. I think it's eligible, I wanna say 2023, 2024. Um and David, you can correct me if uh is it twenty twenty I I think it's 2023. I'm not 100%. I can look it up real quick though. Yeah, I know I it's one it I, I know it's one of those years, but I know in the expansion conversations, you know, every city wants to be pick me, pick me, pick me. I mean, it takes a lot to house the NBA franchise. You have to have the Fortune 500 companies to fill up the season ticket slots there. You have to have the arena, you have to have the fan base in a market that is starving for a team for all those, you know, pieces to be successful. That's why I know in the New Orleans front, uh, front, that's why there's been talks about if it wasn't for Zion Williamson, New Orleans wouldn't be in New Orleans anymore because of the lack of Fortune 500 companies down there in New Orleans. So you're looking at cities across the league. Seattle, who obviously housed the franchise for years upon years, and they lost their franchise to Oklahoma City, which housed the displaced New Orleans team because of the hurricane. Uh Back in 05, 06, and they really showed out for that team. And now the Oklahoma City Thunder exists, and they moved Seattle out of there because Seattle didn't want to build a new arena. So I know Seattle's been starving for a team up there, and that's a huge market, a great sports town up there with almost every 
pretty much every professional sports team there. They're getting an NHL team, so they're going to have every professional sports team there outside of an NBA franchise. So they, they're a very attractive market. Kansas City has an NBA-ready arena, and they really support their Chiefs well. When the Royals are doing good, they really support the Royals. And when they when the Kansas City Jayhawks come into town, they play in a sprint center down in downtown Kansas City. They really pack that arena. So they're back basketball fans there. It's a basketball area. And so I think that Kansas City could be successful. Louisville with the KMC, KFC Yum Center. They packed that arena for the, you know, the Louisville Cardinals. And that's an NBA ready arena. And that's a pretty big market there in a basketball state of Kentucky that you know, just cranks out players from the, you know, between the two institutions, actually multiple institutions. When you look at, you know, UK, Louisville, Western Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky, I mean, it doesn't matter. All corners of that state, they're t- Murray, Murray State, <laughs> John Morant from Murray State. Uh, they they put out players and, you know, Moorhead State with, you know, I mean, the, the list goes on of schools in Kentucky that put out talent. So I think those are natural fits, but Depending on where they put them, let's just say for hypothetical purposes, they do Kansas City and they do Seattle. That could be an opportunity for, I know Memphis fans are on the fence that they love playing in the Western Conference, but the Eastern Conference is a little bit easier. And as far as travel, you can go to probably more games. And it's better because you only have one time zone to deal with in the Eastern time zone with games and Central time zone versus having to worry about the Central time zone matchups. And then you got the mountain time. Then you got the West Coast games. Uh, So it's less less time zones you got to think about. But as far as the expansion, I know personally I would love to see the Hawks and the Grizzlies in the Southeast division and they just, and that's just a natural rivalry and we, and we go at it for years to come, especially being seven hours drive apart. What are your thoughts on the expansion likely places? And would you like to see a a Hawks Grizzlies rivalry actually play out as it was heated contest and all three of their matchups thus far this year? It seems like the, the Grizzlies Hawks rivalry is going to happen whether we're playing each other four times or not. Um, So if, if, they do the expansion and it ends up where they're playing each other four times a year that I'm all about it. Like inject it into my veins. Give me all of that. It's two young teams that have great young talent. What's their, like, what is not to like about that? Like that you, you have, if they're playing each other four times, you've got guys like up and coming stars, superstar potential with Trey and Ja it's an easy sell for the NBA. If you've got these two teams playing four times, I think that that's to me a no brainer, but again, it depends on, okay, where are you going to put these teams? And Kansas city was not actually prior to our conversation. Kansas city never even crossed my mind. You know, I, I was looking, uh, Seattle, maybe Vegas, you know, they just moved the Raiders into Vegas. So, you know, maybe more professional teams are okay with moving into, uh, into Vegas where that's kind of been frowned upon in the past. But I think that, you know, I don't know that the, the population around Vegas is enough, but I think that Vegas gets enough traffic that it will support a a professional team with ease. Um, There there are plenty of cities that you can look at. I I think Louisville is another great one that you were talking about because Kentucky is a, it's a basketball state. A lot, a lot of talent. You know, there, there was a guy um, came out of Louisville. He he didn't play for Louisville. He actually was signed. He signed with Louisville, but decided to go to, for the draft. Jay Scrub, um, he played at John A. Logan. He's a guy that, 
you know, ton of talent. If he hadn't had academic struggles, he would have been with the Division One school, and he probably would have been a first rounder, in my opinion. A lot of the Kentucky in general turns out a lot of great talent. So I think that you know, Louisville would be another good city. And I, you know, what do you got, um, Louisville and man? There's nothing really. I, I guess college is is about all they got, right? I'm trying yeah, to college, think. Yeah, college. Kentucky, yeah, college yeah, basketball is yeah all they got, and I know Lexington may be the bigger city itself, but obviously you ain't gonna up, uh, uh, you ain't gonna you know outshine you know UK and, yeah and Big Blue yeah. Nation. You're not gonna you're not gonna outshine shine them, even though they have a pretty big arena there. I think the, the Louisville has the better the newer arena as far as between the two. So Louisville and being on the being on the river, you know, having some Fortune 500 companies out of Louisville. That it makes them a little more attractive than than a Lexington. So I was digging, trying to find the year that they can do the expansion. I didn't find a definite answer on that, so I'll have to. I'll keep searching later on, and I may. Uh, I'll retweet this uh, this episode with the answer to that question, unless maybe you find it before we get done here. But you know, I, I think a lot of it's going to depend on how many teams are they looking. Are they just adding two? Are we going to add four? And where are they going to go? Because moving the teams, you know, you've got uh, Minnesota, which could easily move over to the Eastern Conference, and Memphis, New Orleans. There's three teams there that could easily bounce one way or the other. And I think that, you know, it makes sense. If you're going to do a Southeastern Conference, I, I think that, you know, you have Memphis, New Orleans, Atlanta, Miami, Miami. Atlanta. You know, yeah, that that's yeah, that's pretty. You know, I don't know who else you're pulling into that really. Um, I, I don't know. Charlotte, Charlotte is you know a question yeah. mark. And right now, the other only only the t- other only other team I can't talk outside of that is the Washington Wizards, who can easily be bumped up into the Atlantic Division, and then they you know work out something there. Yeah, and and that's also wh- where do you put this other expansion team? You know, if you're doing if you're doing four teams and you plug three teams in the West and one team in the East, you know, if you go, um, may, maybe they look at Pittsburgh, you know, like who knows? You, you never really know what they're going to do. Are they going to give Vancouver another team? You know, it didn't work out that well with the, the Grizzlies up there, but I think a lot of it with, with an expansion team, if it's not a basketball area, I think that, your hopes are that the expansion team is competitive early because mm-hmm. St. Louis had the Rams for a little while and then they moved them back out to the West coast because they weren't selling seats. Right. Well, they, yeah. they weren't selling seats because after the greatest show on turf, the Rams were awful for a long time and people don't want to go watch a bad product. And that's what, you know, that's what it boils down to. You get a, I think, Seattle went without an NBA team and they, you know, they had an NBA team and now they've gone without it. I think if they put a team back in there, that that area is going to support the team and they're going to do well. So I feel like that, that is a lock for sure. I love your Kansas city idea because of of where it is in the, in the country. I think that gives kind of that little pot of the country, a, uh, a great, like, that's just a great area that, you know, you can, you got, Iowa and Nebraska and and Missouri, you know, you've got a lot of states right there together, pretty close to Kansas City that you're going to pull 
a lot of fan, you know, you can get a lot of fans from that area and they're probably rooting for other teams right now. But, you know, I kind of alluded to it when we were talking off air, when you get a local team, even though they may not necessarily be your favorite team, you're going to support them. You know, you're going to be around like when you want to go to games, your favorite team's coming to town. Okay. You're going to go. You don't care that your local team is not that great, but, um, I, I hope that they actually do four teams and, and I don't care either way. If Memphis is still in the West, I'm fine with it. If they get moved to the East, I'm fine with that as well. There's some teams in the East that I would love to, uh, to have the rivalries with, you know, like the, the Hawks Grizzlies, that that's one. And then I think Charlotte is another team with a lot of young talent that, um, you know, they're, they're going to be on the, the upswing here. And that would be another interesting matchup for the Grizzlies if they do move to the East. So mm-hmm. there's a lot to unpack there, man. Um, if they're only doing two and I had to pick two cities, I would say Seattle and Louisville. Okay. Which, uh, like I said, I, I you can't go wrong either way. Uh, and it, like you said, it depends on, you know, geographically where they want to do it. If they want more teams out West to kind of shift some teams that are on the midline of the United States, like in New Orleans, like a Memphis, like a Minnesota over, then that makes sense. If they want to introduce into a new market in Louisville, who, who've been really begging for it. I mean, they were begging for the Raptors to come there this year. They were, they started campaigns to get them there, man. I mean, and it's campaign season down here in Georgia with this, with the Senate runoff coming up. And I mean, I'm sure they have some ads. They have some ads up there in, uh, in Louisville saying, Hey, you know, get to Twitter, you know, get to Twitter figures ready, you know, try to get an NBA team here, even though we can't support them, if we can support them with ratings and TV ratings, which is going to be interesting to see. We talked about, obviously, the Ra- the Raptors are in Tampa right now. They already have two teams in Florida, uh, as far as the NBA goes, with the Magic and Heat, what the ratings are in Tampa now that they quote unquote have a team there temporarily because of, obviously, the restrictions of travel in Canada with COVID-19. So it'll be interesting to see how successful they are ratings-wise and if they do put a team in Tampa, which would be kind of weird with it being an hour from Orlando, if that. So it's a very interesting conversation. It will be something that materializes throughout, you know, the next few years until that decision has to be made. But with that, it was a wonderful conversation. It was a very, it was very much more of a positive conversation, even though on you guys is in, you guys uh, did not get the win last night, but it was an entertaining game. Nonetheless, there was throw some good salt in the wound as we sign off here. Dang oh, no, it, no, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to put no salt in the wound. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that we kept it optimistic. We kept it positive, And there's a lot of good things to look at for the Grizzlies going forward. And I wish you guys nothing but the best, except that second time when you guys roll up against the uh, Grizzlies. And for me personally, when you guys play the Pelicans, you know, you know, you know where I got to sit, you know, you know, what side of the set fence, <laughs> fence I got to sit there. I got you. I understand, man. I understand. That's okay. We're we're beating the Pelicans this year. Enough trash talking. We're just we're putting up. We're taking care of business against them. So, man, it's been a pleasure. Thanks again. I, I love doing the co shows. When we uh, when we meet again in the second half of the season, we got to run it back for sure. Oh, we're running back. We're running back just like I know that you guys are really anxious of running this game back against the Hawks with all the chatter post game and on Twitter now between, you know, Hawks and Grizzlies players. It's going to be a fun one. But with that, tell tell them how they can connect with you. Obviously, this is a joint podcast. Tell them, you know, your normal 
signature off when you go off, and then I'll do my normal signature off, and then let the fans follow us both and tune in both for both wonderful contents from two great programs here on Hoopball Network. All right, you can get the show on Twitter at Hoopball Grizz. I am on Twitter at DWill2111. I love conversation, guys. Tweet questions at me. You know, we can go back and forth between the Hawks and the Grizzlies. I'll talk about anybody. Love basketball in general. So the show, Hoopball Grizz, I'm DWill2111. And then my co-host, Sam, he is at SammyB1118. And that's all I got. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks for tuning in. You already know who this is, a.k.a. your boy at Brad Jarrett 67. That is Brad J-A-R-R-E-T-T 67 on Twitter. Hit me up. Talk Hawks, talk basketball, talk football, talk sports in general. Uh, ain't got a lot going on right now, so I love to conversate with you guys. And follow us at HoopBallHawks on Twitter. That is at HoopBallHawks on Twitter for the latest episodes and latest insight for your fantasy team as we put out injury reports uh here on Hoop Ball to help your fantasy purposes to make sure that you're putting in the right players for your lineup. So with that, we'll sign off. I will do my year. And you guys have a wonderful, wonderful New Year's. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.